Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Sample Hour. I'm honored to have a very good guest again. He's the host of the Of Two Minds blog. Or at, of two, man, I'm probably going to butcher this again, Charles. That's okay. I don't <laughs> edit, edit, edit. I'm the worst I'm the worst intro ever. I'll start to go, and I'm like, wait, did I say that right? I didn't think about it clearly, but Of Two Minds blog. It's of ofTwoMinds.com, um, correct? Yeah. And it's Of Two Minds blog. I read it every day. Um, well worth it. Also pick up a copy of his book, get a job, build a real career, defy a bewildering economy. Um, he has about 13 other books that he's written as well. that are all worth checking out. Um, Mr. Charles Hugh Smith, how are you doing today, sir? Good. Glad to be back on your show, Drew. I'm glad to have you back. But, uh, we were talking about before, uh, we started, uh, recording, um, just some things we kind of wanted to go over, like a reoccurring thing that I've, I see in your bog, a bog, blog, um, English isn't my strong suit this morning, in your blog is, uh, um, you know, we, we talk about uh, corporate cartels, but you also talk a lot about investing, and you know, I'm, I'm 29 years old, I don't, I don't know, I, I, I know as much as I've taught myself, I think the mainstream kind of tends you to to teach you that investing is something that actually isn't. Um, so I kind of wanted to talk to you about those topics um, and just kind of get in the thick of it. So like for if you're a young person or even like a person who maybe, uh, you know, they're, they're, they, they're kind of like even in the middle of their career and they're still trying to figure out what's going on, they, they, they're not quite ready to retire, they're still in the, in the rat race, what are like some options for people to do to, to kind of um, – Start start getting themselves out of their situation, or, or maybe invest some money for the future. Well, Drew, that's a that's an excellent topic, and um, the general context of of investing, as I see it right now, is it's a very difficult environment because the central banks around the world have unleashed basically free money for financiers. In other words, you and I can't go borrow, say, a billion dollars at like, you know, near zero, but uh, banks and financiers can. And so then that gives them a huge amount of like free money to play with. And so if like say if you and I were given a billion dollars at, you know, 0.1 percent interest, what would we do with it? Well, what uh, one easy way to do it is to borrow the money at nearly nothing. Then go buy a bond uh, in some other country that pays like three or four percent. Well, that's what's called a carry trade because we're making like three or four percent, and it's not—we're not even using our own money. <laughs> you know, it costs us a, a fourth of one percent to borrow the money, and then the rest of it is just skim. And so um, you can say the same thing about um, like. Uh, rental apartments, you know, like if you and I could go borrow a billion dollars, hey, let's go buy like 40,000 units, you know, let's go buy a couple of um, uh, apartment complexes that generate four or five percent return. And so every kind of asset class out there, like bonds, stocks, real estate, farmland, I mean, anything that you and I could buy has has been bid to the, to the moon by all these guys that have um, – basically unlimited amounts of free money to to play with. And so that makes it very difficult for um uh, small guys, you know, absolutely. because yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think um I think if you want to I mean like cuz I I mean when I was about 22, I was reading books about investing at a young age or at that age I was reading it like you wrote Rich Dad Poor Dad and I had, you know, gotten a Nightingale Conant and tried to 
get all this stuff to kind of get to kind of get on my path and I kind of, I kind of realized that like I'm, I don't really know what I'm doing and then it, it's just pretty much like you know they're talking oh go to foreclosures and it was like well the people who buy foreclosures already have kind of insides into it so for me to get in and just get started like I'd have to know somebody to get into it like it doesn't it's not that that easy just for just for an everyday person like everyday people like us to just get involved um and I, I think like I think it does kind of go back to what we were talking about before, like your um, the the loose network of like you might I might know somebody that does it and they can get me involved. But even then, I think it's kind of like a like do do you think like do you, do you ever think we're kind of intentionally misled to think that we can to just start buying rental properties or anything like that? Absolutely, and especially in in um, terms of the stock market, you know that um, the the idea that we're presented with is just sock away all your money in your 401k or your IRA in, in the stock market. And over the time of decades, it's going to grow magically because that's what it did. You know, like if you started putting money away in you know, 1982 or whatever, um, and 30 years later, Hey, you know, look at your wealthy. And, um, but when we look at the stock market chart, we see that it has these, bubbles and crashes. And so um, my takeaway from that is every person has to actively manage their own money. You know, you really can't trust Wall Street, um, your buddy from college. I mean, whoever it is that, you know, you're entrusting your money to, even an index fund, you know, like, oh, I don't have a a money manager. I'm just putting all my money in the S&P 500 index. I don't I don't trust anything because of these bubbles and crashes. And so in other words, if you happen to buy at the top of the bubble and hold through the crash, you've lost money that you can never replace. And so you really have to say that's your number one goal. Don't buy too high and 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 get out of some asset class if it's starting to roll over and um because you don't want to hold on until it crashes. Then you've lost money you can never replace. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, do you do you think? Um, I mean, like, I, I work. I mean, where I live, like, I'm so near Chase, and like, they literally, like, I know people that work there, and like, Chase's business model has literally been, let's create these products that we can make a bunch of money off of that are just kind of like manufactured bubbles, and then we're gonna lay everybody off that gets everybody involved in these, and then we're gonna create a new product. And then we're gonna, you know, make a lot more money off of people. Then we're gonna lay all those people off. And it, and I don't know. Like I just like sometimes I just think about it. And it's just like you know, sometimes I, I kind of struggle with this eth- this ethical dilemma with the market. Whether like you know like even if I do see a bubble coming, is it like a right thing to to make just put my money in, watch it go up, and then pull it out? I mean, do, do, you, do you get what I'm saying? Like I, I kind of feel like it's a uh, if I, it's, it's like just because it's so fraudulent, is it, is it really like the right way to make money or does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, I mean, and, and most people don't discuss investments in terms of their, their ethics or the. Yeah. So, um, so Drew, um, as you, as you know, there's mutual funds that, that claim to be, um, ethical in, in their investments. Like they don't buy, um, uh, tobacco stocks and things like that. But um, perhaps the, the bigger answer is if you only – if you try to 
put your your money in things that you directly control, then then um, then you control the ethics of the situation as well. Like for instance, if you buy a three bedroom house and it's a bit of a stretch, but you do it, and then you rent out two bedrooms to um, people you know and trust, then you control the ethics. You control how much rent you're charging. Um, you control you know um, the the setup and, and how it's managed so that you can control your assets in an ethical fashion. And, 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 you know, to use a cliche, it's win-win, right? You, you can set the rent that's reasonable, uh, you know, in the market rate, and then you can provide good service. And, and then your, your um, friends who are renting from you have like a stable, you know, good environment that they have some say over. I mean, it's, it's, um, that's an example, you know, and of course, other people buy like farmland and then they lease it out to um, uh, somebody, a, a local person who's um, going to manage it properly. And, you know, these are the kinds of examples of, of stuff that you control. And um, so that's that's really the, the ultimate um, answer to like, how do I invest, you know, ethically? And that makes sense. So, I mean, so do you think like, uh, so like for people like, my age who are just you know putting money in their 401k and their Roth IRA like and they think that like clearly like I know that's not a that's not a good option for you to walk away like I don't think that I mean that money's managed I mean they they, they talk about time and time again like how much money um different like uh in personal uh or financial uh planners like how much money they make off of commissions off of like a and b shares and the whole game is, oh, you know, you need to go your funds. We need to move your funds from this, this, this share into this share. And they're not knowing how much money that they're actually getting a commission on off the top of your money that you're trying to save for the future. Um, so, I, I mean, like for like for people to 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 like just to plan for the future. I mean, what the best option would be just to just to kind of like I mean, just kind of goes back to our first conversation, like, you know, take take what um what we've what we've talked about in the past like you know something like a, a business or a hobby or something that you want to take to make money with and just kind of investing in that or investing in yourself versus like t- giving your money to somebody else yeah and i think that's um that's a a, a topic with a lot of different nuances um and I'll, I'll give you a, an example of on a really small scale, like uh, one of our young friends, I think he's about 24, 25, got a job, a tech job in Dallas. He'd never been there before, arrived new, you know, and um, so he's, he's trying to find a, a place to, you know, rent a room. And, and so we told him, why don't you find a big apartment and, and then you rent it and then you find the roommates because you control the situation and then his rent's actually lower. So you could say that by investing um, his time and energy in finding a, a, a big apartment that's um, you know in a good location and reasonable and all that stuff, and then finding good roommates, he's actually making money because yeah. you know instead of paying eight hundred bucks or whatever, he's paying five hundred, but he's also providing value to these um, his roommates because he's a much better you know sort of master tenant than um, the um, you know the guys that uh, the other. Uh, his competition. Um, I know that's a small example, but it's a way of investing your time and energy in something that ends up saving you money that then you can go do something else with and you're providing value to other people. 
So, um, but you know, a, a lot of people make the mistake and I, I don't know if we talked about this on our first program, but you know, they think, gosh, if I invest like 35 grand in, in a master's degree, that's investing in myself. And, um, it's part of that kind of con job that, 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 uh, you, you know, we were speaking about before the, uh, before we started, uh, rolling tape is, um, you know, we're told that if you just get another degree, then you're going to get um, a higher salary and more security and all this. But of course, there's 20 million other people who um, believe the same line. And so they all have advanced degrees. And so, you know, the the supply of people with advanced degrees is rising faster than the number of jobs that need that degree. So then people invest 35 million, you know, 35,000 bucks or something in another degree and discover it didn't give them any leverage. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense as being a person who uh, who could have about two degrees and then decided not to finish school because I got a job and I was like, man, you know, I'm making pretty good money. And then it just like and I've been I've been fortunate to, to have built like a network. Um, but I, th- I think, too, like, you know, people chase this good job that's going to pay them all this money. And something else we were talking about is, you know, it. It doesn't matter if like if you make a bunch of money and your rent's three thousand dollars a month, like you don't have anything you don't have anything to show for it. You're you're just you're better off to just live in some small town and be a janitor or something like that. Like um but it's it's like the it's it's like the the idea of keeping up with the Joneses or the idea of what you're supposed to do, like you're supposed to get married and have kids at a certain age versus what do you really want to do for you and or what like what's really going to be important for me and and like i know for me personally like i like i have a pretty good job now i'm 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 doing a decent job of saving money i'm i'm doing a decent job of giving getting different kind of entrepreneurial ventures going on like uh and 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 at the same time it's like it's like i i was uh i heard this lady her and her husband they went and they they built this tiny house and they live um they were living. They were living somewhere on the West Coast. I think actually outside of. I think maybe outside of San Francisco area. Um, but they ended up just just trying to just condense everything. So they had this million dollar house, and they were just paying on the interest. And she was just saying like how much more free she felt after she moved out of the house, just because she didn't have like the she didn't have the um, the burdens of like oh I I owe these people money or I owe these people money, and it's like you know it's just the freedom of the situation. Like I mean. My friends that have moved out to New York, like they were like happy people. And then once they lived there for a while, being from the Midwest, they might have good jobs, but it's like that's their whole life is is a job. And it's just like, man, it's just so sad. Like it's not it's not it's not healthy for your well being. And it's not like and I think like uh the idea is is like just a a sound like being being in being in charge of your own life, I think. If that makes sense. I kinda like kind of veered off into like this kind of tangent from the subject we were on but i think that's that's important and i think like kind of go back to what we were saying like investing in your your local community like i, I was thinking a lot about like our last conversation and, and like everybody is always like you know voting voting locally and when like when people are like oh you can do so much more but it's like no like just invest in your community like invest in you know anything like like i don't know if like if you're going to buy a property, like just like what you said, like make sure you can control it or make sure you know, I don't know if that makes, if that makes sense. I don't know if I'm, I'm making a ton of sense. I'm just kind of 
these ideas just popped in my head, Charles, and I just started saying them. So, well, Drew, let me ask you: um, Do you get a sense that people um, in in their twenties, uh, just graduated from college, or uh, in that age group, that they um, feel a, a lack of self confidence in their ability to um, make a living outside of like corporate America and a government job? I would, yeah, definitely, I would say so. Yeah, I think that um, uh, I mean, talk about veering off. I'm going to veer off and, and speak to that a little bit. That you know, um, we were talking about how we're programmed. You know, programmed to invest in the stock market and get more. You know, solution to every problem is get another college degree, and and this kind of programming. And I think part of our programming is um, we, if you just take a bunch of classes and you and you and you pass the tests then you're going to somehow magically get a good job. And um, even though you haven't really learned any real-life skills, you haven't learned good communication skills, you don't know how to work with a team, you don't have any project management skills. And and so no wonder I think a lot of people don't have any self-confidence and they're afraid is because um, they didn't really learn anything in like 20 years of schooling. You know, that, that was that was practical, you know, and if you look back to the like the turn of the 20th century um, before people, a lot of people didn't even graduate from high school. You, you often find that people worked in a whole bunch of different jobs and, and got a lot of life experience. And of course, that gave them the confidence that I'm going to be able to land on my feet, you know, anywhere because I can yeah. I have like um, a variety of skills, you know, and um and so uh, that's when we talk about investing in ourselves, I think, um, what does that mean? And to me, it means, okay, identify a couple of core interests that you have and then, and then acquire some skills that, that somebody might actually pay you for or value for in that. And that could be anything from, hey, if you, if you learn how to cook, then, um, then you can maybe you know, eventually transition, if you have to, into working in the food prep industry. You know? if, you, if you like you know, tech and computers and software and stuff, then cobble together a couple of you know, HTML5. Or, you know, and at least even if you're not going to be at the top of that game, you're going to know enough to like, help somebody who knows less than you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know? and, so, and then if you have like three different skill sets you're, and, and you move to a new city, you're much more likely to find something to do you know, that somebody will pay you to do because you've got a variety of skills. And then as, as I might have mentioned last time, it, it turns out that these skills, um, different skill sets, um, they, they kind of work together, you know, that they create a lot of creativity and they give you a, a broader skill set than just knowing one thing. And, you know, that's another one of the things we've been programmed for is specialize, specialize, specialize. And um, that's that's all well and good in certain areas. Like if you're going to become a surgeon, then you're going to become like an orthopedic surgeon or, you know, a neurosurgeon or whatever. That's fine. But uh, beyond these really narrow niches of, of expertise, um, most of us are better off um, having a broader range of skills. What Does that make any sense? Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Um, that makes it that makes a ton of sense. I think. Uh... It, do you think that like minimum wage and like the raise and minimum wage and stuff like that? Do you think that's that's kind of made a difference in um because I know it's like a big deal right now with the fast food workers wanting to unionize and President Obama saying I would use and unionize if I was them. 
And like, and I think like, you know, like I, I come from a union family, but I don't always think that that's, that's necessarily the best solution. I think the, the market kind of dictates, you know, what that job is worth. And I think that, um, you know, before minimum wage, I heard Peter Schiff talking about it. You know, there was at gas stations, you could be a kid and you could, you could get paid scrap money just to go clean people's windshields and they'd give you tips and then you could you know, get near a mechanic and learn how to be a mechanic or learn how to do different things or, and you could always get into different jobs or there was different opportunities for, for younger, for the younger generation to, to learn different skills. And I feel like now with minimum wage, everybody just kind of wants to, you know, go to work and punch that clock and just have everything taken care of for them and not necessarily be responsible for themselves so I feel like it's kind of that's kind of like a, a pattern too that's kind of contributing to why you know instead of having skills you know we get we go to school for twenty years and have no clue you know no manual for how to be an adult and um, and I think it it, it kind of goes they can and I guess like I I think about a lot like what how we've kind of gotten where we were, are and what we need to do to get away from it um, and. And it, it and it's just it's it's just interesting. Like I, I feel like you know it's sometimes I'm really positive about it. I'm like you know there's people out there that do that are going to inspire change. But at the same time, there's there's a lot of people that that just want to be taken care of or that don't you know they just want to go home and watch their TV and punch their clock and you know well I got bills to pay and all this. But it's like you know well you've you've kind of chosen that life. You know it, I don't know. Like I, I kind of struggle with this sometimes. Does that make sense? No, it, it does, Drew, because I think we're all in the same boat that we, we live in these systems, you know, and the systems, um, what fascinates me is there's, there's rules and incentives that are not necessarily explicit. Um, you know, like it's not so explicit that, that we're told, okay, get a college degree and, and then go to work for the government or corporate America and you're, you're set, you know. Uh, but that's the message that, that those are the incentives and that's the, that's the way the system is set up. In other words, um, we're not really taught self-reliance skills or, as you say, um, the skills of being an adult um, or a professional that, that you manage your own life and money. And, and yet we, we're also not told explicitly, we're not going to teach you that stuff. We're going to teach you how to take tests. <laughs> because if you if it was made explicit like that, then we'd say, "Wait a minute, I, I don't know that I I really want to just learn how to take tests and and not learn any skills of adulthood or self management or professionalism, you know." And so, um, and so it's like we as individuals, um, there's like only a, a generally some narrow choices that we're allowed, and so to try to break out of those requires a lot of heroic effort. And this is where when we look at people that just say, gosh, I just want to get paid 40 grand and um, go to work, do my thing, and then go home. And then we can say, well, you know what? That that kind of job is is getting rarer. You know, there's more people competing for that and um, th there's more demands placed on you at work and there's just not that many like easy $40,000 a year jobs anymore. And um, so we can like criticize those people and say that you, you guys got to like step up your game here because that's um, that's that that's the economy of the past. And I think that's that's very real. And a lot of people don't want to make that effort. And I understand why. 
um, it's, it's, um, it's hard, <laughs> you know, and if you're trying to take care of some kids at home or, you know, you've got an elderly parent and you got a long commute and, you know, all these things pile up to where it just seems like impossible to like, you know, um, get ahead. And, uh, and so of course then people feel despair, you know, as, and then it's kind of like what we're talking about, a lack of confidence, fear, and, and, um, and a despair about, you know, getting ahead in life. And so what we're really kind of talking about is two things. One is this understanding the system we work in and then understanding like what are our responses. And um, my, my basic approach is you have to think outside the normal boxes because all of those are already programmed to, to despair. <laughs> you know, everything costs too much. It's really hard to save up enough money to buy an asset that's going to, you know, that you can control. And so you have to think outside of the, of, um, of the programming. And, and, you know, one of the things we're, uh, we touched on but I think is worth talking about is, is where do you locate yourself? Because if you locate yourself in like West L.A., Manhattan, San Francisco, you're going to need to make like 100000 bucks just to get by because rent's three, 4000 bucks. And um, it's very expensive to even own a car, you know, and, and all these things pile up to where you're basically just going to be getting by. Now, it's very exciting to live in those places. And if you want to do that when you're young, fantastic. But very few people are able to swing that into like um, – a security that allows them to get married and have kids because then it's like a quarter million dollars a year. You know, it's like these insane amounts of money that people have to make to live in these places. And then if you go to like small towns where there's nothing going on, well, there's no opportunities. And so that's, um, that's not a good place either. And so it seems like there's a place in between those two extremes, you know, like small cities um, often away from the left and right coast um, or vibrant towns, you know, that there's an industry or a group of young people that are re- revitalizing, you know, the downtown or, you know, there's something going on. And those places seem to be um, the, the right mix. You know, there's opportunity. The cost basis is pretty low. And, um, and maybe the economy is looking for young people that, with a variety of skills. Does that sound like something that's, that you've seen in action? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I would say um – when I moved from, uh, like, I was in Toledo, Ohio, which is, like, you know, baby Detroit, and it, it was just, I was trying to stay around, and I was trying to, like, look for, for good reasons to stay, and I was like, I, I just had to get out of there. Like, there wasn't a ton of opportunity. Everybody wanted factory jobs, and those jobs were going away, and then I went back home because um, I, like, grew up in between the two places, and in Columbus, like, everything kept building like things kept building like people things keep getting better like they're not um you know the hot area was what was called the short north so all the artists went to the short north and it became like this real hip area and then like the cost of rent just started going up so all the artists were like well we don't want to live here anymore so now they're gentrifying a new part of town and now it's old town east and they're 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 cleaning up old town east and once it's done it's like it just keeps moving and moving and moving and uh, it's exciting. It's it's good to see. It's 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 it feels good to be a part of a community like that where people like to to get out and do things. Like we just had this big food truck festival, and and honestly, like I didn't really enjoy it because it was like there was too many people there, and I don't like being around a bunch of people. And but it was cool to see. Like it it was cool to see like a a community getting around a bunch of small businesses and and wanting to get out there and support it. 
And so I think like, you know, I, I think like just like what you're saying, like where you're moving to a place, you want to be, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's, I don't think it's hard to see, but like, you know, I don't think you should be afraid to move, but at the same time, I don't think you should just up and move thinking, oh, cause this is New York city. This is the place to live or because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's California. This is, this is the place to live. Like it, it's refreshing to know people like my good friend, he's a comic in uh, Pittsburgh um, and he's lived in Pittsburgh. He's raising his family in Pittsburgh and he's a full-time comic. Like most people don't know who he is, but you know, he's making enough money to do what he wants to do. And he's participating in a business that can get really ugly and very kind of sketchy fast. And he's doing it on his own terms. And I think like, I think like it kind of comes back to like having like your set prince set of values and principles and and you dictating how you're going to live or the conditions that you want to 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 work in and I think just stick into those and I think the more like the more confidence you have in yourself and I think your 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 values the better are you are the better off you are in um in accomplishing what you want to accomplish if if that makes sense or or living and and making a living the way you want to make a living definitely and uh there is of course as we know the sacrifice and um you know if you want to work for um to have the security of the government or or corporate america job then you're you're um going to have to follow all the the rules of um hierarchy and and bureaucracy and um, for some people, that trade-off works, and um, that's fine. And I'm not cri- I'm not criticizing that. I'm simply saying that's one option. And but what you're describing is another option, and that's the one that has more risk involved. And so therefore, it's more you know we're we're afraid of it because we can't uh, we don't have a guaranteed income, but then we we have the freedom of to express ourselves and to grow as human beings uh, more than we would in a strict hierarchy. And and what's um, you know, Drew, what I find exciting is that um, it's not that hard to learn stuff that has value. Like, uh, for instance, I, I know I'm often talking about, you know, gardening and cooking and, and um, you know, repairing bikes and, you know, these kind of simple things that that, um, that add value. Like I was just um, corresponding with a guy. He's a Finnish carpenter and he was talking about how he, he will prepare more food uh, at lunch, he'll prepare a real meal, you know, with a little camp stove and stuff like that on the job site and share it with the other uh, subcontractors and stuff. And, and, and just builds this uh, just great feeling of community um, for that job. And, and of course, construction jobs don't last forever. You know, they last a couple of days or weeks at a time. But um, I just thought it was a good example of how he used his cooking skills to enhance everybody's life, and um, it didn't cost him that much money, and it created such a uh, such a pleasant environment. And of course, eventually, somebody like that could also be hired to start doing that for somebody's restaurant because he obviously has the skill set, you know. No, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty yeah. cool. that's cool too because it's also like that's something that we don't we don't necessarily think about is like you know, having a meal or making like something like, I think a lot about like uh, spirituality and, and religion sometimes. And I think like, I think sometimes like it's easy to lose focus of why a ritual is important. And I think some people think it's like a ritual for something for somebody else. But in reality, it's like, it gets you kind of in like a state of mind to want to be with people. So if like, I'm sure every day when he's making that lunch for everybody, everybody's like, Oh, you know, John's, 
what's John going to make today? And they're all excited, and they're probably talking about it all day before lunch. And then they eat lunch, and it's delicious. And then they go back to work, and they're just talking about how great the food was. And everybody's just in a good mood. And it's uh, it's like it, the, the importance of, like, human interaction, of, like, sharing meals together. And it's, like, something that's so simple. Um, and, and, like, and I know I've been trying to cook a lot for myself as well. And just uh, – and it feels good. Like, I went out to um, – and and I'm gonna get back to what we were what we were talking about, but like, you know, when I went out to uh, when I went to Arizona, I was gonna go get breakfast with a guy. He's like, honestly, I'd rather just cook something for you because it's cheaper, and then I know what's in it, and I'm I'm kind of on this health cook kick. So we went to Sprouts, and he made me some good food, and it felt really good. Like there was this good sense of camaraderie, but it's also like you said, it's a good skill, and um, you know, and a, and a good way to learn skills, which is something we didn't really dive into last time, is, you know, you always talk about in your blog, YouTube University. Um, and that's just a great way to teach yourself, like, how to do anything. Like, uh, I had a guy just fix my car because I'd, I'd rather help somebody out that I know than somebody that I don't know. And he uh, he wanted he, – I had him fix – like, I have this old crappy car. I paid, like, a 1000 bucks for it, but it's cheaper than a, a car payment. And like the sway bar linkage head broke. So what he did was he just, he likes messing with cars and I really don't. Um, and he looked online and he just watched a YouTube video on how it's done. And then it, he had a, somebody help him out that was a little bit more familiar with cars than he was. And my car works great right now. And it's, um, this, you know what I mean? No, it's, it's just phenomenal, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it's like, and you know what's, um, speaking of the spiritual aspect of what we're talking about, isn't it amazing how many how many people who are smart in their particular field, auto mechanics or uh, you know fixing refrigerators, which is one a YouTube university I, I just found out about. <laughs> Anyways, these guys are doing all this and gals they're doing it for free and they like doing it for free. I mean they're putting out their knowledge and sharing it and um, and all they expect is um, th- uh, is is maybe an occasional thank you or their their um, the payment is that people appreciate. Um, what they're doing, but there's there's very little money in this kind of thing. You know, you'd have to have like mega thousands of hits to generate a few bucks off ads on YouTube. Most people are just doing it to share the knowledge for the pleasure of doing so, and and you know that's a big part of um, YouTube University that I think is, is is important. Yeah, yeah, that's how I learned how to edit for my podcast was YouTube University. I had no idea how to use GarageBand, and some ten year old kid was on it just showing how to do it. I was like, yeah, I just watched it for like 10 seconds. I'm like, oh, it's that simple. Okay. And then, and then I just kind of polished off the skill as I went along. And it's, um, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, it's exciting. I think like, you know, the more and more it's, it's, that's like, I was thinking about the internet, um, yesterday because it's, it's like the more and more the internet kind of is becoming more of like a, a lot of people don't like the word collective, but uh, it's more of a collective mind and it kind of like, you know, people want to keep each other honest. And I think and I think, too, um, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of trolls and there's a lot of, uh, you know, other bad words, I would say, of people on the Internet that just like to be mean to people. But, um, you know, I mean, there's a place for that. You can't if somebody's giving you attention, they're giving you attention. That's kind of the way I, I kind of look at it like it's. You got to take the, you know, the, the good with the bad. But um, getting back on what I was talking about, um, you know, that's that's the exciting thing about the Internet. Like I remember I had a, I had a washing machine and uh, I didn't know how to hook up a washing machine because I just n- never learned how. I was just, you know, 
learning to be an adult. So I was like, okay, I typed in the model of my washing machine. And I was looking for this hose, and this this one website said, hey, here's the part, and this is how you put it on. And they just have a whole business of selling parts, and it's just some guy showing how to hook up all the parts to whatever whatever uh, appliance or whatever you have. And it's just like, man, that's a great model. Like, I, I'm if I have any other problems in the future, I'll probably go to that site first. Yeah. And, um, it is kind of amazing to me that, um, uh, because I, you know, I've, I've had to repair a couple of appliances, um, using YouTube university. And if you call up, you know, GE appliances or, you know, the, uh, a, an official, uh, repair service, there's the, the service call is going to be like, you know, 140 bucks or whatever. And then the part is going to be like, uh, you know, 80 or 90 bucks. And then online that same part's like, 10 bucks, yeah. you know? And so, and, and it's amazing. Uh, you know, we were speaking before the, uh, before we started, uh, recording that about, uh, the cartel structure of, of our society. And, and you look at these, um, that's just an isolated example, but you look at, um, just about anywhere that a cartel has control, like there's a couple of appliance manufacturers, there's a couple of, you know, internet providers and, and, um, you know, you get a you get a monopoly kind of situation or quasi monopoly, and then they charge whatever they can get away with because there's no um, option. And so, I think that what we're talking about in the power of the YouTube University is, it's, uh, an individual could just go on YouTube and they could um, learn in a relatively short period of time how to fix ninety percent of appliance problems. You know, it's like a sensor goes out or um, a servo motor goes out and, you know, all these parts, as you say, are available, um, online and, um, they could, they could start charging somebody 60 bucks an hour and they'd be saving the customer $60 an hour because the official guy is 120 an hour. And so I see like a lot of opportunities to start competing with the cartels, who uh, they may have a monopoly on the on on the uh, device or the service, but they don't have a monopoly on the maintenance of all these things. Well, it's also too like you look at uh, services like Uber. Like Uber's whole business came about because taxis or you know the taxi drivers are rude. Takes them forever to come pick you up, and and then you you usually get some guy that tries to rip you off with your fare. Versus like Uber, you just put something in an app, it assigns it to the closest person. The guy comes picks you up. You pay half the rate that you would pay a cab, and usually you have a way better experience. Um, I don't. Have you used Uber yet, Charles? No, I haven't. Um, but I, I like the model, and I have used um, the uh, the rent rent a room in another Air, city. Airbnb. Yeah, Airbnb, and I, that worked out fine for me. And um, you know, everybody likes to publicize the the rare instances where it, it didn't work. You know, like they got ripped off on Uber, or you know, they had a problem with Airbnb. But I mean, it, that I, from what I gather, it's more like less than one percent of these services have like real problems. Ninety nine percent, everything works as expected. Yeah, but that's micro entrepreneurship is like a really exciting. Um, exciting thing that's really going on right now. And I think it kind of is in relation to like Airbnb and Uber and uh, food trucks. And, and there's just so many other services. I mean, you can just, I mean, just find anybody like I, like I, I have, I don't know, I have all these ideas that I'm trying to like, just kind of polish out and me and my, me and my best friend, we we sit down and we're like, okay, what do we need to do this? And we go through and we, we take a lot of time to think. And I think like that's, 
I think that kind of goes back to like if you're working a job and you want to get out of it, like you need to to set time aside for yourself. I mean, like I, I mean, I I was a victim in the past of just going to a bar and spending all my money there. Like, and I made pretty good money, and I didn't have anything to show for it because all I did was drink booze. And uh, and you know, and it, it was just it was just a young dude. But now that it's like, it feels so good to like to to to. Like the more I feel like I'm, I'm, you know, the more I start doing in the in like and I'm I'm taking risks and I'm, you know, doing a gamble. Like pretty coming up soon, uh, we're going to be hosting a screening through this uh, this company called Tug. Um, and I'll I'll for listeners I'll I'll put more information what's actually solid. But it's like, I mean, you can with Tug you can you can literally find a movie or a film that's important to you. And you will choose a theater in your area, and it gives you a few days you can select. And then they help you promote getting it there, and it's even for one screening. And um, and you can even make a little bit of money from it. I mean, it's, there's just like a lot of cool opportunities out there that 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 people have kind of created to kind of empower people to to learn skills, like whether it be promotion or or you know driving someone around or. We're just cleaning up one of your rooms and renovating a, your garage so you could have somebody come and rent it out as like a hotel room. You know what I mean? And it, it's like there's just so much stuff and like and I and I I felt bad because kind of at first in this 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 uh, podcast, Charles, I was kind of talking about the bleaker terms of, of of the situation in our country with investing and everything, but in the end, like there's still so much opportunity. Like there's so much stuff that like you know if people want to make changes, I mean you know your vote your you need to vote with your dollars instead of, you know, for your politicians, if that makes sense. Definitely. And, um, and uh, what we're talking about is, is um, seeking opportunities where your um, investment of time and money has some leverage, you know. And if you just put your money in the stock market and or, you know, you don't really have any leverage there. You're hoping it goes up by 10% a year or whatever. But if it falls 30% a year, what what can you do about it? You, you really are powerless. And the same is true of bond funds and, you know, any, any conventional investment where uh, the things you just mentioned – you know, if uh, most of them don't take a whole lot of money, but if you do decide to put money in, at least you control it. You can try to um, get the best product for the lowest cost, and um, you can check out whether there's a market for rental rooms in your area. Um, that kind of thing, um, where you can you can learn enough to make a, uh, an informed decision and, and um, understand the risks ahead of time. Where, like in the conventional world, you're told, "Oh, it's risk free. You know, just give us your money and then come back in 20 years and you'll be richer." But there is no such guarantee. Life doesn't work like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my friend, he actually just uh, he's part of this big class action lawsuit against Fifth Third because. These investment bakers just took his money and and redid his his investments without his knowledge, and he lost a ton of money, and now he's part of this huge lawsuit. And it's just like you can't like you like I think trust is important, and it's important to build a network of people you can trust. But it's it's not a good idea to just trust somebody because they have some certificate that says financial planner, financial advisor. Like it's 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 just kind of shaky things. I remember when. Um, in like the health field, I got this job and I was considered a, a personal trainer and I didn't, and I actually was going to school for, um, exercise physiology and was really into fitness at the time. 
And I realized that, like, you know, the whole point of, of us being personal trainers wasn't to help people. It was, it was like this ploy that these gyms were using to sell, uh, to sell gym memberships. And so you're like, oh, yeah, personal training's for free. So you get them training and you say, you know, what would be better is if you get a friend to come and work out with you. So then you sign them up and then you just kind of let these people go exercise on their own. And I'm just like, man, that kind of defeats the purpose of what you're selling someone is it's not really, you know, and it, you're not really it's that's not really a fair product. Like you're pretending you're basically just playing with something's perception based on a title. Like, you know what I mean? Like it, it just because somebody says that they're they or this doesn't mean that they're necessarily that like in the like even like in just even thinking with like contractors like there's so many bad contractors uh whether they be painters or anything and they and that, like my, when my mom was moving um they were getting their house fixed up and this painter the quote it was like a couple thousand dollars for their quote and they didn't have that big of a house and it's like you look at the quote or my buddy used to do quotes and he's like yeah pretty much man they just make up what they're going to charge based on whatever to their discretion. And, and it's just kind of like this, this inflated game that goes on when in reality you could, you could just, if you knew how to paint and you had a few, few reliable people that also knew how to paint, you could go and get a bunch of contracts just by being fair and probably still make a decent amount of money. Very good point. And um, this brings us back to the power of the internet again, because um, like Yelp, uh, for instance, is an example. It's, it's often about restaurants, but it's also uh, about just about anything. You can you can ha- find Yelp reviews on plumbers and painters and stuff like this. And th- no system is perfect, as you said, but it, it, it certainly gives us all a, a context for whether this guy is really going to um, has been trustworthy in the past. And um, gives us more information so we can make a better decision. And um, and I think when we talk about opportunity, th- that's really where the opportunity is in our society as a whole is expanding uh, the amount of knowledge that's out there and the opportunity to be to make better decisions. You know, to be to become informed. You know, and and I think your example of the personal trainer is um is an excellent um, example because like let's say if you started doing that service if you said um you know give me like um 200 bucks a month and i will you know be your personal trainer for these time slots then you'd be providing a service that um wasn't like a a sell something else service it would be like a legit service you're providing a, a specific service for a specific client and and if they decide that you know they're not getting their full value they can go hire somebody else and so it's um but the situation and the skill sets and and everything allows for trust to be built because you you know everybody knows you're the real deal and you're offering them a service and you know it's all transparent and so opportunities come from transparency not from like sort of the opaque uh shuck and jive you know sales pitch that um corporate america um uh, indulges in yeah yeah that's uh, that's an excellent point i've <laughs> I've been a I've been a sales pitcher many times and, <laughs> and had to like recently I've had to to just say hey you know we need to put the brakes on this this isn't right and I was kind of nervous but uh, I'll save that conversation for not recording but uh, yeah um, I think uh, yeah I think it's I think it, it you know there's there's a lot of opportunity and it and it's just as it it just goes back to people kind of investing in themselves. Um, Something I kind of wanted to, and I haven't really seen you write about it too much, but like something I kind of want to get your opinion on. Like, what do you think of like the, 
the cryptocurrencies and um kind of because I, I feel like they like people get really kind of defensive when you talk about them bubbling up and down um but what do you like what do you what is your opinion on the cryptocurrencies like what, do you think it's like a viable solution for the future or um do you think it's it's you know it's still kind of kind of in its early phase and we got to look and see what happens like because i've been on the fence about it because i actually had a chance to buy a bunch of bitcoin back in the day and it really kind of weirded me out because i didn't it was i couldn't find much information about it and the only way i could get it was just sitting on a phone for 20 minutes and i get like a whole bitcoin but like calling some like one 900 or 800 number but uh now looking back on it i could have probably made a bunch of money from doing that but you know, like, what do you? So, what? What are your? What are your thoughts on the on the cryptocurrencies? Uh, well, Drew, my my context is um, who controls um, the issuance of the currency, and and what kind of options does it give each individual? And so, I'm kind of a fan of the more currencies that the individual has access to, the better. Because that gives us, again, we, we can uh, attempt to get more transparency. We can become informed. We can make our own decisions. And, of course, when you look at the conventional nation state and central bank setup, um, the nation state or the central bank is the sole issuer of a currency. And so, you know, people in Venezuela, for example, they're stuck. Their currency is in, in, in a free fall. You know, it used to be five uh, – to the dollar. Now it's 53 to the dollar on its way to 100 to the dollar. And so those poor people um, are being impoverished because they didn't have any other options on currency. So for me, the ideal setup is there's 20 currencies. Some are crypto, some are gold backed, some are, you know, uh, issued by the central bank. And in other words, the more the merrier, if you will, because then all the currencies will be competing with each other. To, um, for transparency and holding their value. And so, sure, that, that, uh, there'll be speculative opportunities there for people that want to play that way. But more importantly, it gives um, more stability to the whole system. So I, I, would, I would love to see a system where um, if I wanted to hold dollars, I could. If I wanted to hold that in Bitcoin, I could. Or there was a gold-backed currency that I could buy instead. And um, I think that's the ideal situation because it would cr- create more opportunities for stability you know, and transparency. Absolutely. I'm going to ask you another Another just just straight up question, Charles. What do you think the biggest bubbles are right now, and what do you think the next big burst is going to be? Like, do you think it's going to be the, the the student loan bubble, like the college bubble? Do you think it's going to be the housing market? Because um, it's like I see this stuff or the stock market, like because everything's just getting so inflated right now, and it's uh, it's kind of scary, but I think it's it's going to be exciting when it actually pops. Because I think there is going to be a lot of opportunity, like. I don't like I don't know like what what are your thoughts on that stuff? Well, I think uh the my context is like as I mentioned earlier um when financiers and banks have been given literally trillions of dollars of free money, then virtually any asset has been driven into a bubble. So I think you're right actually stocks look very bubble, you know, based on past valuations and measures of valuations, they, it looks like a bubble globally in most cases. Then um, housing, at least in the hot markets um, on the left and right coast, looks like a bubble. Um, 
because only only wealthy people can afford to buy properties at, at these extreme prices. Bonds look like they're kind of in a bubble because yields are already near zero, you know, and, and you take a really shaky country like Spain and then its bonds are selling with a 4% yield uh, for 30 years or 50 years. You know, you're, you're taking a huge gamble that that country is still um, going to – that earning a, a crummy 4% yield is going to – is going to work if the bond gets devalued. It only has to be devalued four percent, and and you and you're um, you've lost all your yield. If it falls by ten percent, you've lost money. And there's nothing to keep these bonds from falling by fifty percent. You know, as the, as the countries go into crisis or currency crisis. So, yeah, I'd say definitely stocks bubble, real estate bubble, bond bubble, and um, certainly education bubble. You know, and um, how? What are we going to do with a trillion dollars of student debt? I, I don't know, but um, it's going to have to be written off or um, uh, reduced to zero interest or something. Uh, so, yeah, there's bubbles everywhere. In fact, apparently, farmland is also in a bubble because you know everybody thinks alike. You know, like <laughs> what do I do with a with a billion dollars? And and you go well, stocks are too high, bonds are you know, risky, um, real estate's already at the top. Um, well, how about farmland, you know, how about timberland, you know? And so it's, it's almost, um, it's become insane. And, in, uh, and so really there's not many assets around that aren't in bubbles as far as I can tell. Yeah. I w- I've, Cause I've been thinking a lot about it. Like, I'm like, you know, people, the, the joke of the recovery and it's like, I feel like in the future when, um, you know, it, it I'd like to buy some property um, sometime soon, and actually, some friends and I are, are looking to possibly get some some property to, to um, in the in the near future. Like as, as I talked about before, um, I think it's uh, you know I think that there's going to be an opportunity. I feel like once if the if the housing bubble bursts, but it's at the same time like I like I then I watch like the you know this whole tiny house culture. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but people just get in these tiny houses and they want to build communities and uh apparently if you renovate a school bus because it has wheels you don't have to you don't have to fit any building codes or anything like that and uh and you can you can get it less regulated so there's i mean there's a lot of like outside the box solutions um for people to kind of cut their cost and to kind of live uh live the way they want to live if that makes sense and um so i, I kind of sometimes i just my mind races like a million million times a second charles because i'm like man there's so many different things i could go out and do okay so what what am i going to do first yeah and then it and it basically it boils down to what's um what's our key interests and um yeah certainly i um you know i i worked my way through college doing painting carpentry you know the building trades so that kind of stuff interests me like tiny houses and uh, rehabbing, you know, school buses and RVs. I mean, that stuff is um, very interesting to me. Uh, and there's equivalents in, in, in other fields. Um, so I guess that the trick is uh, gaining the self-knowledge to say, what kind of interest do I have that I can sustain? You know, in other words, that they're so interesting to me that I can like stay on this for a couple of years and see something through to the end. And that's um, that's uh, how do we how do we gain that self knowledge? Well, we just have to try a lot of stuff. YouTube <laughs> that, University. Yeah, and and as you say, uh, get out there and try it with some other friends or in community groups, and um, play you know 
take a hand in something and then see if you really do like it because we, we most of us can't tell until we actually try it. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I tell you what, Charles, we're we're close to an hour, and I'm sure you got some uh, some other stuff you got to get going on today. But um, thanks for joining me again. I'm looking forward to having you on again in the future. It's uh, I love the, our free ranging conversations, Drew. Looking forward to it myself. All right, sounds good, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Go to Charles's blog, subscribe. If you have Outlook, go to uh, you can get of two minds RSS feed. That's how I read his blog every day. We'll just pop up in the email just on your Outlook at work. So when you're trying not to work, because I know most people don't work when they're at work, you can read Charles's blog, um, buy his book, go to his website. You can get his book. You can get it on Amazon. Um, I have the hardback copy. You can also get the Kindle copy if you would like. Get some of his other books. Um, thank you guys so much for listening again, and uh, look forward to sending you guys another episode soon. 